From New York City, the world famous Comedy Cellar presents Live from America Podcast. With Noam Dorman and Hatem Gabber. Live from America Podcast. Where the top experts in the world and the best comics in the nation get together weekly to discuss today's issues as they cover news, culture, politics, comedy, and more with an equal part of knowledge and comedy. And now, here are your hosts, Hatem Gabber and Noam Gorman. Hey, welcome to Live from America Podcast, Comedy Seller Podcast. This is Hatem. Uh, Noam is stuck in Mexico, so he'll try to join in, but so far, uh, no luck. But uh, I have Emmy Award nominee for writing for Saturday Night Live, the very good, a very good friend of mine and very funny comedian, Tony Darrow, joining us from Vegas. What's up, Hello. Keith? <laughs> How's Vegas? Vegas, the Comedy Seller in Vegas is a great club. Great club. Yeah. But the hotel, yeah. but Vegas itself, you said, was suffering, right? What's that? You said Vegas itself was suffering. Vegas itself still has a long way to go from COVID, yeah. Oh, man. That's sad. Yeah. Uh, and our guest of honor, you know, uh, Dr. Ruth Ben-Ghia. Uh, she is a professor of history and Italian studies at uh, New York uh, University. She's a MSNBC opinion columnist, and co- uh, she commented on MSNBC and other networks. Uh, she published uh, uh, a newsletter, which we can talk about later, uh, The Threat uh, to Democracy, about, it's about threat to democracy. And her latest book, Strong Men, Mussolini to Prison, is uh, a must read, in my opinion. It's it's amazing. Uh, Ruth, great to have you. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you for being here. Mussolini Pleasure. to the prison. So um, I'm from part of the world. I'm Egyptian, born in Kuwait. And um yeah. So uh, I know a lot of strong men. <laughs> uh, so then I moved here and then Trump came. So my question is, do they just follow me or what's going on? Here? <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, in fact, um, I I was just a regular old academic doing my research on fascism. Um, I had lived in Italy when Berlusconi came in and brought fascists into the neo-fascists into the government. So I kind of lived through what happens when people who used to just like fascism in private, now they would like tell you in public that they liked fascism. So, uh, but it was when Trump uh, came onto the scene and I'm a first generation American. And I was like, uh oh, this is very familiar to me. And that's when I started, you know, doing all my public commentary and television and radio shows to warn people uh, that, you know, it can happen here too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was. I remember, like, there was a lot of things that I see similarity with the Middle East. I all. I almost wanted to write a book about like how America's becoming the, you know, uh, the Middle East. There's signs that you see, but then I was like, writing a book is so hard. So I'll just talk about it. Um, but yeah, there's <laughs> so smart. many. That was smart decision. It is yeah, right. <laughs> it's just like it's so much like like you said. Like there's so much that similarities that you can see. Like people don't even think that it's gonna happen, but then it does, right? Yeah. And there is, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a playbook. And one of the things people ask me um, is like, well, we know Trump doesn't read, right? His, his first wife, Ivana, and I believe her actually said that he had two books in his bedroom. This is years ago. One was Art of the Deal, his own book. And the other was a book of Hitler's speeches. 
and, and that makes total sense to me. Mm. But but Trump's not somebody who reads. They so they do similar things to get to power and try and stay there. But they have similar personalities. That's really it. And so they're opportunists. They don't have a moral code. You know, they they uh, will do any people who help them get to power. Then they'll kind of screw them over. And so I saw that Trump had a similar personality. So it's not like he's reading from a manual. It's just that they know how to take advantage of certain windows of opportunity that more um, moral or scrupulous people would would not. But but Hitler and Trump, I mean, before Hitler decided to take over the world, I mean, he was a pretty good uh, leader. I mean, he did a lot to rebuild Germany after World War One. But Trump didn't do anything. He didn't pass any legislation except the tax cut for the rich. He didn't do anything. You know, and his motto was promises made, promises kept, but none of them. There was no infrastructure program, no health care program, no wall, nothing. You know, at well, least before, I, I don't uh, agree. I mean, I can't agree with you that Hitler was a good leader. He was. Well, uh, he rebuilt the country. You can't deny him that. Um, he he made he built some roads uh, he got m- most Germans back to work, but the he used corruption to, uh, you know, do that. Um, he had a lot of foreign money and he indoctrinated millions of Germans to to hate, you know, other people, including Jews. So, for example, um, this is I didn't know this till I wrote Strongman and did the research in 1933 and 1938, which were moments of a lot of um you know, violence in Germany, like Kristallnacht. Um, and when he first came in, he twinned those hate campaigns with eradicating debt for Germans. So if you had debt, he would erase your, the state would erase your debt. So he bought them off. Mm. Um, and that's how he got people to agree. So he is very corrupt, like all of them. So I, I just, I can't agree with your assessment there, but. Well, what did um, Trump do? I mean, Trump didn't do anything. No, no, but she's not agreeing with the part that Hitler doesn't mean. No, Trump's a total fraud. Uh, They're they're all frauds. Um, You know, Hitler said he didn't take a salary so he could seem like he was this, you know, man of morals, but he was, you know, hiding gold behind the scenes and doing all kinds of stuff. So none of them are good. No, Trump was... They're all in a. They're all different because they're You know, Trump's. Trump's. He was like governing in a democracy. He didn't succeed in wrecking it, but he was a total con artist and a fraud. He almost did. I always have this uh, question, which is like, especially when Trump came, was like when you have leaders like that. Is that reflection of a lot of people that thinking that idea, and he became the reflection of those people, or he became the idea and people reflected to it. Like were people mm. first that believe in this? Because mm-hmm. I mean, he got like so many, like 74 million votes and stuff like that. You know, half of those people, I would say like, okay, they think, you know, in a, in a different way, uh, like logical to them. And, and I agree with a lot of them that what they think or support party or whatever, but a lot of people really believe what he's saying. So was he reflection, not just him, like everybody else, like Hitler? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually a little of both. It's a great question because because they don't have any moral code and they're performers, they're showmen. And it was really interesting to discover doing the research, a lot of the successful strongmen had a background in some kind of communications, like Mussolini and Mobutu were journalists, um, Berlusconi and Trump knew television, Trump's a marketer. So 
on the one hand, they 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 kind of scan the political marketplace and they see what's missing or what what like so Trump found these, you know, mostly white working class. He said, you were the forgotten. You're, I love you. You're forgotten no longer. So they'll be what whatever they need to be at that moment. And so in that sense, that's part of the, what you're saying, right? They will remodel themselves to be what people need them to be. And that's also their personality cults, right? All these leaders. That, and, and they also, though, because they don't have any moral code, they will be a different thing to different people. And, and that's why they end up with these crazy constituencies of like, you know, from Mussolini and even Berlusconi and Trump, you know, gangsters and housewives um, Orthodox Jews and neo-Nazis and everybody's there together loving Trump or loving Mussolini, whoever it is. Mm. So so they will be what you want them to be, but they also um, will like kind of suss out what is missing and what the hopes and aspirations are. And they are in a dialogue with that, if that, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, well, yeah. Don't you think like... Um... He brought people. I mean, if you look at the Trump uh, Republican convention, uh, whenever they have one again, um, yeah, or the last, one, if you look at the last one and look at the Republican convention from thirty years ago. Thirty years ago it was a lot more multicultural. I mean, when they talked about expanding the tent, uh, I think they meant like the white supremacists and the and the evangelicals. And uh, but it's certainly it's weird. Thirty years later, where are uh, you know, like where are the bl uh, black leaders in Congress, where you know, where the J.C. Watts, where, you know, what happened to the Republican Party? They don't have a platform anymore, and he changed that that whole thing. When Liz Cheney's considered a rhino, something something's yeah. wrong with the Republican Party. I mean, yeah. I think the Democratic Party too, but you know, there's there's problems both sides. You know, but. no, no, they're not, they're, 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 the problems on the Democratic Party are just political problems. The problems in the Republican Party, they have no platform. All they want is power. That's right. Today, that's right. And one of the thing, one of the incredible things that Trump did, and not in a, incredible, not in a good way, <laughs> was um, he he came in and he made it clear he was going to be a different kind of leader, like he was going to be an autocratic style of leader. So he immediately like forced the GOP to submit itself to him. And he had this like, so the, GO, the GOP was already becoming, you know, extremist and the Tea Party and all that. But but he kind of radicalized them and he put them into this like authoritarian um, culture, political culture where loyalty to him mattered. So when you're saying that, like, they don't have a platform anymore, it's all about power and it was all about loyalty to him. Um, and so and so they that's what happens when these guys come in. They they kind of suck the life out of the party if, if they didn't invent their own party and they take one over like Trump. But he did it like really fast, uh, considering how old that party is. And we only have two parties. Hmm. And so when they set their minds to something, everybody just folds. And of course, Trump's been using, you know, we call it compromat, like he, you know, extortion and, uh, you know, threatening to reveal compromising information about people. He's been doing that for decades, way before he got into politics. So we took those kind of mafia mafia boss methods into politics with them and people like Lindsey Graham or you know Jeff Sessions they just folded and yeah. they became his like most loyal servants and then the whole party did that look at Kevin McCarthy at the very yeah. beginning 
he he said out loud it was a private meeting but he said i think putin pays trump and then he had to like forget that he forget that he ever said that <laughs> in order to have a career and he now look at his career he's like you know made it to the top um, that's the problem with a lot of the the people in power that's all at this point it's all about the power so they see where the wave is going and they just join versus try to help the country and the people that they should represent you know so they feel like trump was winning so they took that wave so they can all uh win you know and go with them and this is I'm going to go off topic a little bit and then back is like, you know, when you said like he demands loyal, like these, and I think this is why, why it's important also to, to read the book and know a lot about it. It's like the characteristic of those people. And it just doesn't apply because even when we're talking about this, it just reminds me of somebody else. You know, this is not only in leadership and politics, like these characteristics can happen in regular life. You oh know? yeah. Like you can recognize at work people that can do this. You know, that demands, I mean, it could be a very simple work. It could be two people <laughs> job and you demand the loyalty and stuff like that. So what other, what is the characteristic of strong men? And what, what and I also, you know, want to ask you, why did you choose the title strong men? Because it could be in the beginning, be like, oh my God, strong men. That's a, you know, I was like, it's a book about me, but then, oh no, you know, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um. The characteristics are, uh, well, I use, I'm using the term for um, authoritarians who try and wreck democracy. And, and I, so I don't have like Xi Jinping and uh, Chinese leaders or North Korean leaders in there. It's mostly right wing uh, uh, autocracy. Not that I think that, you know, because communism created more victims than fascism did, but I wanted to, like, I saw there wasn't really a book that went over fascism and then what happened to all these platforms and these hatreds after fascism dies and then you go through the right-wing military coups and you go up to today's people even people who used to be communists but now are like more like fascists like putin or orban right so so i wanted to tell that story um but yeah uh, so go ahead i was going to ask you a question but you finish yeah no so they're they're um they're, so they're people, I'm using the term where they they try and wreck democracy, or they do to some extent, if they've been in there long enough. But they're also, the strongman thing is, I'm. it's the first book to have a chapter on masculinity. And so the, the core of the book is like, their tools of rule, like propaganda, corruption, violence, the myth of a great nation. And then um, I, th- I felt that like political scientists, other people who study this, they didn't really take masculinity seriously. Yeah. And and we like can look you know, at these hands, like these things yeah. you never hear in like presidential debates and stuff like that. Yeah, and Putin stripping his shirt off, or yeah. you know, um Bolsonaro and or like Berlusconi boasting about having sex with so many women and all that stuff. And we can just laugh at it, but it's actually um pretty deadly serious because there's policies that um come out of that. So the strongman I'm using. I picked leaders who used um, like machismo in mm. some way. Um, and of course, it's an ironic title because they're actually hysterical and weak and paranoid. They're not really like, you know, good examples of calm yeah. man- manhood at all. Quite the opposite. Yeah. So, so what do you think the characteristics are of, uh, of those strong, strong men, like in that in that sense? Like their personal characteristics? Yeah. Like like we, we talked about they always demand loyalty, for example. Yeah. Like like if you say three or four, like 
signs that you see like they all have in common? Yeah. Okay. So, so one thing is they, they are so they're very paranoid uh, about rivals and they create these um, inner circles. Now, all of them do this where you have sycophants or family members um, like Saddam Hussein had his kids or they all, a lot of them have their kids or sons-in-law um, and, and people who won't criticize them. And so after a while, they start believing their own propaganda. And the longer they stay in this situation, the, the more they're likely to make bad decisions mm. um, because they don't really see reality. And they, and it's interesting because the more power they have, the more they get paranoid about losing the power. So they do stuff like there's a famous uh, YouTube, it's terrifying uh, YouTube. You can find a YouTube of Saddam Hussein, like gathering everybody in his party, all the high officials. And then, oh, yeah. and then he has the secret police come in and start picking them off one by yeah. one and taking them away. And the ones who are left are practically crying with, you know, nerves and, uh, and I, I was I was born that. in Kuwait and uh, yeah. I I grew up uh, I left Kuwait in the night in uh, Saddam Hussein but I know very much like what he does like even with his other leader that, that he faked the helicopter accident yeah. you know stuff like that so yeah I know exactly what you're saying yeah so but that's think, one thing the thing here after January 6th that they were successful and they almost were successful oh yeah yeah so that's an, I want to get back to, I'll get to that in a sec. I just want to say one more thing about the, um, this like paranoia and, and then like purging people, um, Xi Jinping. So at a certain, you know, level, all these autocrats are the same, whether they're right or left wing or whatever. So Xi Jinping just did this. He, they had the latest, um, party Congress and it was televised and he had somebody come and take away a very high official and everyone was like, Oh my God, you know, and it reminded me of Saddam Hussein. So that's one thing. So another is that um, they're not normal leaders who in a democracy, when your time's up, you, you leave and you like in the States, you'd have your presidential library or whatever the heck you're going to do. But if you're an autocrat, it's like a psychological death. And so they get very dangerous if they think they're going down. Um, and they will, there's like studies on this, they'll start wars or they'll, you know, get more into losing wars. They'll, they'll have a self coup. That's what Trump tried uh, when you're already in office and you try and stay there. Um, and so then, and in democracies now we had Trump and, and Bolsonaro start this new trend where, you know, if you lose, you just use propaganda to convince people you didn't really lose and you stage an insurrection. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the other thing. They're they're very dangerous if they think that their power is threatened. Do you think usually, it used to be in the United States when when somebody ran um, on the right or on the left? Once they got into the office, you know, they governed from the middle, like Obama and Bush. Yeah. But uh, what do you think about Maloney? I mean, she came as really pro-fascist, uh, pro-Putin nominee. Now she's meeting with Zelensky this week. So... You think maybe she's governing from the middle? Yeah, it's complicated. Um, you can imagine uh, studying fascism. And, you know, she came into office on the 100th anniversary of the founding of fascism, like 1922 to 2022. And she's really interesting because she is trying to pass herself off as a conservative. And, 
And that's a good phrase in terms of her foreign policy so far. She's tried to govern from the middle. And she, until 2019 or so, she was totally pro-Putin because she is so, she's a hardcore uh, neo-fascist militant. That's her true nature. And so being part of anti-Putin and she's, uh, she embraces replacement, great replacement theory. She's so extreme about racial things that her version of great replacement theory is actually to the right of Tucker Carlson's. Mm. Like she's, she's insane because there are people who, and for, for well, those, works, what? has a great replacement theory work in Italy. Um, it's that Italy is a white Christian nation. Right. And uh, she has said to you that no more mosques should be built. Um, she doesn't want to recognize Italians of other faiths, but her her versions, because because there are people who um, and great replacement theories, those who don't know, it's the idea that um, non-whites and non-Christians are having more babies. And so the white civilization is going to become extinct. So there are people who just think, OK, that's a natural result of demographics. But Maloney th thinks there's a plot by, mm. of course, George Soros. Um, the <laughs> EU, there's it's on public record of her tweets. Do, do you think she really think that or she's using that to promote an idea that she wants to think? No, she I think she, it could be either. But, mm. but that's been part of her public persona and it's part of her party. So so basically with the Ukraine issue, she's being, let's say, more centrist. But this is somebody who was a hardcore militant from when she was 15 years old. And right. her party, the logo of her party has a little flame in it. And that flame was the logo of the original neo-fascist party formed wow. after Mussolini died. And the purpose of that party, which was legal. So Italy's very- I was going to ask, Italy. is that legal in Italy? It was the allies and it just worked out totally differently than in Germany. There mm. wasn't any denazification equivalent. So this party was legal and they went into parliament by the 1960s. So it, neo-fascism was always a thing. Um, and that's how, that's why I'm saying that she, she was able to be this militant. So that logo. So when her, she founded her party, she's in now in like 2012 or so. The other people didn't want to have the flame there because they were like, oh, it's too extremist now to have the neo-fascist flame. She was the one who insisted that it be kept there. Right. And it's there today. So that's well, kind of who she is. She's a demagogue. Away from Putin. What? I think she's like moving away from Putin and going to see Zelensky. Maybe she's not moving away. Why is she meeting Zelensky at all then? She no. Since she's come into office, she has um, been centrist on that one issue uh, of Ukraine, and I think that the thing is that Italy depends on EU money. Italy needs uh, lots of things from the international organizations it's part of, and she's very smart, Maloney. And so people who said she's not going to last very long, I always thought that was wrong. That's why I was so alarmed. <laughs> When she came in, she's a very good politician. Um, I don't like any of her yeah. things. Kind of like Trump, honestly. Yeah. So you can say someone's a skillful politician without meaning in, that you're proving, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, entertaining, you know, yeah. can, can can get the spot in TV, stuff like that. She's also really good that way. 
And, and she's a very good communicator. And I have, unfortunately for me, I've spent so many hours looking at Mussolini uh, newsreels. He, he had these very intense eyes and he would kind of stare at people. And she kind of does the same thing. And so um, mm. you can't really, if, if you've seen the stuff I've seen, you can't really unsee. She, yeah. she, she reminds me of him uh, in ways that are not good, yeah. but it makes her a good communicator. Yeah, a lot of them, like even even when, you know, I would say Trump had had this comedian person, like he was funny, like he mm-hmm. was, he will take it. And a lot of people will be like, oh, maybe he'll be able to change. So do you think because I, <laughs> I find a lot a lot of like leaders, especially like in Africa and stuff like that, like they will do a coup, you know, they actually some some of them are good people. But once they come into power, things change. So we have two yeah. two different kinds. Some people are strong men who like dying for power, want it and stuff like that. And some people just change because, you know, one of, like one of the things that you said, I always noticed that was so weird to me when I saw it here is bringing your kids and your sons-in-laws in government and people that you trust, not the good people, but people that you can trust, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you think that also, like, do you have any of the strong men in their book about like people who, who started as okay or good people and then became like that? Yeah, I don't know if I want to call them good people, but they, for example, I have two anti-colonial strongmen in yeah. the book. One is Gaddafi. I was um, going to say Gaddafi. I read a lot about him. When he started, yeah. he was supposed to be. I don't know if that's true, though. I don't get any information right around there yet. Yeah, well, so he was. he's really interesting. So he's the one person um, in the book who's a far, he was a far left. He was very anti-imperialist. So he... Um, he was also from a poor Bedouin family. Yeah. Um, if you're from the Middle East or, you know, I'm half Middle East, you know what that means. And his, yeah. his family, they lived in a tent and they were nomad, semi-nomadic and pretty illiterate. So he was like, he had a resentment against uh, the, the Western powers who were kind of, you know, really uh, uh, controlling a lot of Libyan reality. So he wanted to be this anti-colonial revolutionary. And when he first came in, uh, by coup, which he pulled off with a very f- small set of people he'd been with for like many years. Um, he actually granted um, women many rights. Women had the right to education. Uh, he gave them the right to inherit property, which in the Middle East was not um, very common. So he did kind of, quote, feminist things uh, in the sense of being an anti-revolutionary. And then within just a year or two, um, his personality started to change and he his dictator side came out and he um, became one of the most repressive, you know, tyrants, uh, taking everybody's rights away, yeah. um, executing many people. And, and, he, you know, he stayed there for 42 years, which is um, can you imagine having the same person for 42 years? I, just, I mean, uh, we they save a lot of money in elections and stuff like that. So there is good side to it. <laughs> There's no campaigns, <laughs> no, no voting. And, you know, <laughs> yes, yeah, the, that's crazy. <laughs> the strongman makes things simple. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, um, but I heard like like I saw this crazy movie like about him and he was like like when he started how he really wanted to change, but then he became to a point he does plastic surgery. Yes, and he refused to be put to sleep. Like he will do it awake. You imagine that kind of pain. Yeah, he's par- he was very paranoid. Yeah, and like he, you said, and- they're very paranoid. And one of the things uh, I wrote about in my book, which isn't very known, um, he was famous for having these female bodyguards. 
Um, and that was part of his like quote feminist, but those people were his sex slaves. Yeah. He had, he had a whole, um, it was as though Jeffrey Epstein was the head of state and he <laughs> had, he used his secret police as like recruiters. So when he'd go to like a university to give a talk, he'd have them scouting for beautiful women. And then he even had a sex dungeon built under the university of Tripoli. So he could just yeah. go there immediately. So he was just. He, he uh, had a sign. He will tap three short, like three yes. in a show. Yeah. That means yeah. I've done this one. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to include, it was, it was not fun to write about that at all, but I, I wanted to include it because it's important to understand how these guys operate. Um, and Mussolini had didn't have sex dungeons, but he had he he did the same thing. He would go to a rally and then he would invite somebody to come to his office and like, you know, kind of rape them. And then yeah. they'd be followed afterward by secret police. So this is like another characteristic you're asking. It's when they don't recognize any difference between public and private. Yeah. And so everything is theirs all uh, they, you know, they they steal from their people, and all the bodies are their bodies. Everybody's there. Everything is theirs. Yeah, no, the, the, and that's why I think a lot of even the current leader would have done that if they don't know those consequences. Like, and you know, a lot of, you know, it's versus back then you can't really film stuff, you can't really see stuff, but now, right. so they gotta be, you know. Uh, smarter about them so how when did you decide to um i know your book came after uh the trump lost the second election but when did, when did you decide to write about it when when did you notice this whole thing was it was trump including even in the picture back then when you, when you thought about it first thought yeah okay. yeah it was one of the reasons i wrote the book um because i had basically i'd written about italian fascism and world war ii and stuff but i hadn't written this global book but i felt like Trump, I wanted to show, put him in to the context of a century of these kinds of people. And, you know, there's, again, there's different outcomes. He's not a military dictator. You know, there's not a one party state, but you have this new, new group of people. So I basically, uh, when I saw him, I can tell you when the idea was born, when I saw him doing these loyalty oaths at the rallies, and then I saw him starting to attack the press and, start to attack truth and say, we don't really know and conspiracy theories. I thought, oh, oh this is really bad. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I started writing for CNN and I ended up covering the uh, campaign for CNN opinion. And so out of that, um, I realized I had the skill set where I knew about this and I was able, in fact, I was able to predict a lot of stuff and people thought I was crazy where I would say, you know, like in 2016, I was like, Trump's going to have a really big personality cult. And people were like, no. And so nobody wanted to publish this piece I wrote. Mm. Um, no one wanted it because it seemed weird. Like, what, what am I talking about? What do you mean a personality called? That's for like communist China. Um, so so out of that, those experiences, I realized there was a room, actually a need for a book like this. So that's when I started getting the idea. He's even suggested as president that the U.S. might have a, you know, a lifetime leader like China one day yeah he'd love he would love that yeah yeah that's his ultimate goal i think yeah you, you get in and then you never have to leave and a lot of these guys have been there like even uh orban who the gop is very cozy with orban they're always going to hungary for their conferences he's been there like 12 years now um and erdogan's been turkey's been there a long time and actually putin's been there 
in power uh, as long as Mussolini now. Yeah. So they're like staying longer and longer. But as bad as, as if it wasn't for Erdogan, no one would have known about the, you know, the torturous death of that reporter in the Saudi Arabia. Of yeah. uh, Khashoggi. Khashoggi? Well, I don't know if that because of him, you know, because it's well, he, no, he it was all covered up, right? So yeah, if he would have covered it up, nobody would know about it. But he's the one that exposed it. No, he wasn't. No, he didn't expose it. He kinda it. had to, but, but he wasn't the one that exposed it. We covered no. this in this podcast actually very clearly. And yeah. we know do you know Rula Jabril, by the way? Mm-hmm. Okay, she's a good friend and she's she's yeah, a, she's a friend. A lot. She's, she's, she's amazing. amazing. She is amazing. amazing. You know, it's funny because we talk we talked a lot about like we have different episodes about like things that either happen in Italy or Italian part. Like I had Amanda Knox before, you know, Amanda Knox. It's it just like the way yeah. the culture is is very interesting there. There's a lot of uh, you know uh similarity. But I was gonna ask you about, you know, what about leaders that like Erdogan and Netanyahu actually, who are elected but for a long time, you know? What what's your thoughts on that? I mean Erdogan did do a lot for for Turkey uh, as a country, you know, in the beginning, especially, you know, but then. So what's your thoughts on on those who are still like Netanyahu specifically and Erdogan? These two people are, you know, elected and it's real dem- democracy. People want them there, but they they just want to be there for the longest time. Where do you put them as strong men? Yeah, well, that, it's the same. I mean, Trump was elected, too, and Bolsonaro was elected, too, and and Orban was elected too. And so what matters is what they do once they're there to try and, um, and that's part of what my book is about, how do they kind of chip away at democracy and try and weaken democracy so, and have a personality cult. So like, for example, with both Trump and um, Bolsonaro, had they not had these millions of like devoted followers, you wouldn't have had January 6th or you wouldn't have had the January 8th insurrection in Brazil. These hardcore people who will do anything for their leader, right? And Netanyahu is interesting because that's another um, kind of uh, syndrome of the strongman uh, equality is that once they get in the system, it's really hard to get rid of them because they come back. Yeah. That's the thing is like with Netanyahu and Erdogan, they both, they just don't want, like they, they elected, but they just keep coming back. And they have stuff to give, you know, but over a long period of time, in my opinion, especially like in the Middle East, like if you haven't ma- been able to solve major problems, you should give a chance to somebody else. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's my- not how. Yeah, but of course, that's not yeah. how they think. And the other thing is Netanyahu enters into this line of people um, who came, who ran for office while they were under investigation. That's a super strong. If we're thinking about like today, we're talking about the strongman mm. mentality. So a normal politician, if you're under investigation, you're not going to run for office because then the spotlight is on you. Well, that's not how they think. And this is uh, Trump, Putin, Berlusconi, and Netanyahu all ran for office while they were under investigation. Because the point is to get into power and then be able to shut down the investigation or use propaganda to say it's fake and all of that. so, and, and during the debate, you know, one interesting thing, and I think it kind of, you know, won him some attention for for Trump when he was debating with Hillary. He had really good debates because he's a great performer. You know, when he said, he's I'll good. put you in jail. And the first yeah. thing he does is never even investigate anything. He's just like, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's a very, no, he's a superb performer. I always say, and people used to look at me like I was like strange, um, that he's one of the best propagandists of the 21st century. And he really invested very heavily in propaganda. And so when people say Trump is lazy, I think that's totally wrong because it's just that his aims were different. So he worked really hard to make money off the presidency. So, um, (laughs) but. Well, he did, actually, he, he spent one out of every three days. There's a Washington Post investigation. It's really good. He spent one out of every three days in office visiting Trump-branded properties. Now, a lot of those properties were so underwater because, as we know now, right, he's in debt to the Chinese, to the Russians, all kinds of who knows who else. So it didn't solve his problems, but he spent a third of his time visiting, promoting his brand. And then the other thing he spent a huge amount of time on was propaganda. He was tweeting over 120 times a day, as well as doing all the other things he did for propaganda. So it's more like people. He never governed. Sorry. He never governed. I mean, there was never any infrastructure program. There's a bunch of infrastructure weeks. Exactly. They're not interested in governing, and that was that's why I was giving hundreds of interviews a year to try and help Americans understand that it, it he's not interested ever in governing and this kind of guys are not that's not what they do but americans hadn't had somebody like trump before and so they it was hard for them to yeah. see him in that framework right um, i just can't believe how many rubes there are in this country because i still get emails like they're always sending emails out to collect money for you know stop the steal or this and that but guys always come bragging about it. he's a multi-billionaire what does he need some working guys money and people send him money i i, I don't get it what, what about it's... that uh, nft thing i mean like it's ridiculous like <laughs> superman but you need you see another another thing that i you know and a lot of people just like like his his relationship with saudi arabia like in one side you say like you banned poor muslim countries but the rich ones you know you make a very good knowing that everything that happened i mean that's not just trump it's it's the u.s in general but but specifically him he's the one that gaining uh afterwards after he left presidency yeah yeah um yeah. yeah, that was very interesting to me. Like, And that's, I think, one of the characteristics also, in my opinion, I, I, I don't know what you think, is like they try to make friends with powerful people regardless of yes. the beliefs, you know. Every, anyone. That's, I'm so glad you raised that. I, I call this the transactional and the opportunist. They make deals with anyone. So like just as we said before, domestically, they be anything to anyone. So they have gangsters and housewives and Trump had neo-Nazis and Orthodox Jews. Like who, you know, makes no sense. Hmm. On the foreign policy level, they make deals with anyone. So yes, Trump was, you know, very cozy with Putin, but he was also trying to get the Chinese to help him get elected. It it doesn't matter if they're communist or fascist or, or it's, you know, MBS or whoever. It's just people with money and power who can help him. And they're all like that. Um, it's for Mussolini, they've been like that. Like, so interesting. These patterns are super interesting. Like Mussolini, uh, he'd been a, a revolutionary socialist and he hated the Catholic Church. Like, I mean, hated with a capital H. Mm. But he was the one who made the deal with the Vatican to make like the independent Vatican state. And he got the Pope to say he was a man, you know, of destiny. So it's, and the same with Trump. Like, who is more, you know, uh, 
non unpious than Trump, right? But or you know, not only Orthodox Jews, but also all the evangelicals. They said he's there by the will of God. Yeah. So it, it never makes any sense, but it it works for them. Yeah, I think I think the main thing, and that's why sometimes rarely but sometimes it could work in certain things is these people wanted to be remembered so bad they want to like mm. put their name in history that's what Mussolini I think with the Vatican thing I always I was like why would he I was like if, duh because he wants to be always remembered for that so even if you like if you want to bend all like church or mosque or whatever and oh we're gonna build the biggest mosque in the world and call it Trump it's like oh you know what I, I like that you know one of the things that I really said <laughs> like in the beginning in this podcast when there was a big debate about the the vaccine, I was like, "This is so wrong." All they had to do is call it, you know, instead of um, uh, Moderna, call it the Trump vaccine, and everybody's gonna take it. And one You're is right. a Biden vaccine. Everybody's You're gonna totally take it. Totally right. You're totally yeah, right. it's just like it's it's crazy, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that that's so that's why they don't want to leave office, as well as they're afraid they're gonna get you know prosecuted. But it's very interesting. Um, so on the one hand, they are big modernizers and like when Erdogan is always building things. And now, of course, some of his corruption is being exposed because the earthquake with construction. But yeah. they're all about like, you know, Mussolini making the trains run on time and Hitler and the Autobahn. But they're also about nostalgia. And so all of them have some kind of empire or idea of greatness that they want to um, restore. So Mussolini had the Roman Empire, Erdogan has the Ottoman Empire. And so MAGA, Trump's thing, it's not making America great. It's making it great again. Yeah. And you got to have that again in there. So that, so nobody can tell me what time period they're talking about. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's vague. It, no, it was really interesting because when I, like, I was developing a kind of checklist for myself. And when this MAGA business came up and it was making it great again, I was like, oh, my God, check, um, because it has to be the nostalgia. And the vaguer it is, the so, yeah, in this case, we, America doesn't have a big empire like, you know, Erdogan, the Ottoman or or, or Putin, you know, with the, the glories of Catherine the Great and Peter the Great. So it's just like when white people were white males were dominant and when you, you know, it's vague. Yeah, um, I want to share this with you. I'm sure you guys saw this before. Um, but you're, you're gonna, this is uh, adult. Yeah. You see, so as long as as far as they're talking about the Jewish children, you know, yeah. Uh, back in the uh, Doctor Seuss, that's and look at the the main thing, the main characteristic, America, America first. first, exactly. Make make America great, like these these things, you know. But this it's is a cycle. They. So yeah, and that's one of the things I wanted to do with this book is to show that there are these patterns and things come back and these guys may, th some things are totally different. You know, we have social media today and stuff, but b b there are many things that keep repeating. Um, and and it's 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 very interesting. Yeah. I think I'm a prediction. I want to see what you think about it. I think within the next year, you know, I was reading this um quote from Abraham Lincoln from the Lincoln, like the fourth Lincoln Douglas debate or something about where he declares very clearly that he believes whites are the supreme race and that uh, uh, Negroes shouldn't vote and, and, and he'll always support the idea of the whites as a superior race. And the Republican Party is the party of Lincoln. Uh, I, I, I think that they're going to start embracing that type of thinking with using Lincoln as an example. 
Yeah, I don't know about the Lincoln part, but they will, they already, many of them already are. Um, there, you know, there, there are a lot of lawmakers who uh, associate with Nazis and neo-Nazis. Yeah, and, but I, I think it's, they're going to go full blown as a party. Yeah, no, and that's what that's what Trump. The, the message Trump is sending by having uh, dinner with Nick Fuentes, who's a Nazi, and and he was always sending the message that was Charlottesville was about that. Right. Um, and Berlusconi, when he came in, he brought in neo-fascists. Who again, they, they you know, it's not Nazis there; it's fascists. That's what they do. Mm. Whenever they come in, they get all the extremists and racists around whatever it looks like in that country. And they kind of make a big tent for them. And they say, you matter. You know, I'm going to, in Trump's case, I'm going to retweet you. I love you. You're fine people. Um, so but also, I was reading this book, uh, how democracies die. Yeah. And one thing that's really showed with Trump is how they get these people like these Lindsey Graham's and, and, um, 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 what's the uh, Mitch McConnell's who like placate them thinking they can control them. Yes. But in the end, they're the ones that get knocked out and, and he's the one that's, that's in control because uh, yeah. Lindsey Graham, I, I, I'm amazed that he's uh, ever recovered from the, um, from the Trump years because he really put himself out there. It was, it was humiliating. Yeah, he's, I think he's still like, you know, he, he's, 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 uh, his, he hasn't really recovered. And that's another, like we're talking about the qualities of these, they, I call it the use and discard uh, view of people, mm. everybody who's useful to him at some point, Mussolini did the same and, you know, they all do this. And then he uses you and either fires you or just moves on. And in the meantime, you've served him. Um and you've become his slave and you have to be his slave publicly. Um, you have to be submissive. Um, yeah. It's really, it's there. And that's one of the questions I get most often is how did he manage to do that? And I think also there were people like William Barr um, and I think also Graham, because Lindsey Graham used to be fairly, um, you know, he was pro-military. He had his code of behavior. And the idea that you could do anything you want and be lawless and that Trump would reward you for being lawless and, and being extremist was very exciting to some of these people because they hadn't had anybody in office like Trump before. Remember when he said, wrote, uh, where's my Roy Cohn? And they're investigating him over the, like, what, yeah. what kind of thing that to say? Where's my criminal attorney? Like, but... Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things. Um, the book you mentioned, how democracy dies. We did that. We did an episode with the uh, Dr. Steven Levinsky's great book too. Uh, yeah, you should check it out. It's uh, it's a good conversation. So, uh, I have you know two questions for you. So the first one is like, so the leaders of the party, all they care about is winning. So when they find like, even though your book is trying to warn people, okay, be careful. But do they think they really care if they found the right Trump that's going to give them seventy four million votes or? 75 or 52 percent you're just gonna go for it you know so who should be you know putting like like my my question is like the politician in the higher uh they're not gonna care about the characteristic they actually maybe endorse it and walk it. but who should be careful like at what level should we recognize those characteristics and try to stop it right there you know well ideally you see it at the beginning I mean, honestly, the the frustrating thing—it's well, it's tragic, really—is 
one of my mantras about these guys is that they tell you who they are and what they're going to do really early. So that's another, like we're doing yeah. our checklist. Yeah. So, so January, 2016. So it's early in Trump's campaign. He says I could stand on fifth Avenue and shoot someone Yeah. and I wouldn't lose any followers. So that was one of those, you're asking me, why did I write the book? That was actually, I was in Washington square park in downtown New York. I, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so I ran home to do an op-ed for CNN and I didn't even sleep that night because I was like, that's so, that was a crazy really bad. Yeah. Because and and Duterte did this and Bolsonaro. And basically they're telling he was telling Americans that he's violent, he's capable of violence, he's going to associate with violence, and that he's going to be rewarded for being violent. So he yeah. was he was already marketing himself, but it was it, so it reminded me a lot of uh, sorry to cut. Uh, just remind me a lot of like in the Middle East when they actually not just words, they actually do it. They grab the gun and shoot somebody right there. You know, it yeah. reminded me of that when he said that. Yes, exactly. Um, and and so, but what's very interesting is two weeks after that, um, which should have been he should have been out completely. There should have been a what we call a guardrail. Yeah, out. You know, nobody like that could possibly serve in public office. Instead, Jeff Sessions decides to endorse him, but also Jimmy Fallon um, had him on his show right after that. And so it's never just politicians. It's the wider media. Um, and he hosted Saturday Night Live also after that. Yeah. So I was this whole time I was like, oh, my God, why are they? But all these guys on? are businesses. I mean, D1 rating. Jimmy Fallon just started his show back then. So he wanted. I mean, it's shitty, but it is what it is. Yes, it is. But you're asking me to analyze. So, yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying there. Yeah. No, and it's I'm the same you. like in the Philippines when Duterte was campaigning. Um, he would say, uh, I threw people out of helicopters and I really liked doing it and I do it again. So so they're telling you, like, if you elect me, this yeah. is what's going to be. Um, so ideally, I kept putting all those examples in my book. Yeah. So like that's that's the answer to your question. Like as yeah. early as possible, we should get them out. Um, but instead, those are the things that make people like them sometimes. Yeah. yeah why do you think um, also like the Trump administration, like Saudi Arabia has been after um, Qatar for, for decades. Why did they embrace uh, Saudi Arabia's lie when we have the central command in Qatar? And if you remember the beginning of the administration, they were you know, accusing Qatar of all these crimes and and where did that come from? I don't know. I don't I don't I mean they they already that. have the base in Qatar. They don't need that relationship. They needed one base there and it's there, you know. But relationship, but that's another, you know, uh, just to, one more thing about Saudi Arabia, and then I'm gonna ask you my last question will be like the prediction. But um in Saudi Arabia, they understood Trump so much that I don't know if you guys heard that, but when he was visiting, they had signs, Trump, pictures of Trump everywhere when he was driving through. Yeah. And he so was he would see it. So he would see it. He's a big man. Yeah. And that's and that's Yeah, they know how to they know how to flatter. Yeah. Um Saudi Arabia is somewhat of an exception because it has always gotten away with everything. And no American president, of, most sure. recently Biden, who I like Biden a lot, but I was not happy when he decided not to, that MBS would be off limits for the yeah. Khashoggi killing. They just won't touch them. Um, and that's whatever party they are. Yeah. And 
that's a problem because Saudi is going to be much, much more powerful in the future. They are working on it. They and are. They're working and they're they're uh, they're kind of reputation washing themselves. They're all the sports stuff. Um, the partnership with Israel. Yes, that's a very interesting development where Israel has the uh, the. This is what Jared Kushner did. Um, uh, partly the Abraham Accords, where they have these tourism and economic um, kind of partnerships with uh, Gulf state autocracies. Um, and that is, in fact, uh, you know, Netanyahu might be uh, um, jeopardizing those. Um, it, we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah. that's, that's, yeah, there's a lot of action. There's going to be a lot of action in the future uh, in the Gulf states and in Saudi um, as Putin declines, um, that is an area where I think that's, if you want to say, where's the future autoc of autocracy, that's one base uh, is there. Yeah. What do you think, Putin, what, what do you think his, his end game is? I mean, he saw what happened when Russia invaded Afghanistan. He saw what happened when the U.S. invaded Iraq. Um, I don't think Russia these people learned from the, few, <laughs> the past. What? I don't think they learn from the past. They don't. They don't read. They don't like. They look at the past. I mean, you know, Doctor Ruth will know more. But uh, you know, they. To me, I don't think they learn from the past. They only see the. They only see and get the information that they want. But know? even if they took over Kiev and they killed Zelensky, whatever, they. Uh, that's not going to be the end of the war. That's going to be the beginning of the insurgency. Yeah. Um... It, it, it's exactly what you said. They don't learn. They think they're going to be different. Because yeah. they're grandiose and they believe in their own infallibility, um, and so no matter they they watch He's each the world other. To the weaknesses of his military, yeah, in a yes. ground war. He didn't used. intend for that to happen, of course, but that's yeah. a big lesson that we're getting. Uh, at, at, you know, he, it's a kleptocracy. Russia is a totally failed state. It's always been yeah. a failed state. So, um, last uh, actually, one more before the last, but you know. Uh, what do you see like uh you know uh royalty families like what like you know like in uh uh in England but England have a prime minister now but maybe like the United Arab Emirates where they have like a successful model in a way you know because people are happy they spend a lot of money on the people stuff like that but re in general royal families do you feel these also are full under strong men uh they can they yeah. can they can um a lot of the the ones that I chose to um, focus on, um, not only they were kind of macho, but they had a personality cult. Yeah. So it it, it kind of if we're going to class, you know, how are we going to classify them? Right? They're they're mon they're monarchical autocracies. There's a different. There's a better word for it. I'm forgetting right now. But if it's somebody who emerges and then becomes like has a cult or becomes uh, the record, he emerges from the royal families um seen to become the one person overall then that's the strongman type yeah um okay. so uh last question is your prediction you know uh do we are we gonna with strongman like we have trump again you know DeSantis maybe i don't know uh, if he's running like do, do you think the future will hold again here in the united states uh a lot of strong men like that or people like that with those characteristics will come back or people have woken up from all the shit that happened the last few years 
Um, it, it could go either way. It's because we're really at a crossroads. And this is kind of the US is kind of one of the places the whole clash is happening. And look at the midterms. The midterms were incredibly inspiring in some ways. I mean, 93 Muslims were elected to office. Um, there were so many historic firsts for all kinds of people. So that government government looks more like America, like a multiracial democracy. So that's the that's the part of it. On the other hand, we've got one third of the house is election deniers, yeah. and they're more and a lot of the most extreme people, like the Oath Keeper guy in Arizona. They didn't it didn't work for them, but there's still a lot of other you could say extremists with a small e who are there. So it's like America is now like the showdown. <laughs> Um, with both sides, right? Extremists, neo-Nazis, um, violent anti-government extremists are the lawmakers or frauds like this George Santos. Of course, he's going to you know, do well. He's like a Trumpian figure. Yeah. And then you have these incredible progressive people who were elected. So it could kind of go either way. Well, uh, this was very exciting. Thank you so much for sharing this. It's, it's very, and as I said, it's just not only politics. It's like these characters, you can see a lot of relationship. Like most of the characters you mentioned, I see in Tony already. Um, <laughs> By the way, Atem, I spent a lot of time in the UAE. Do you know what the big difference is between Dubai and Abu Dhabi? No, yeah, I've been catching I, up. I've been to, I, I spent a month in Abu yeah. Dhabi. Well, first. the people in Dubai don't like the Flintstones, but the people in Abu Dhabi do. <laughs> well, well that, that's the thing is like, I think uh, everyone is culture, but when when your morals are tested, like when we heard about this, like your he was excellent as a governor, but when you heard the problem with his wife, once the image come in danger, your real values comes out. So that's what I'm saying. Like it could, like a lot of people could be those strong men. It just, you know, haven't been tested yet, you know, but power is just men so, so much, you know. That's that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, thank you so much. This is was so uh, exciting and interesting. Thank you. If you guys want to share information where people can follow you, uh, your new, I'm gonna have your newsletter link and book link in the description here. But uh, where people can follow you as well, please uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um. On Twitter, uh, at Ruth Ben Giad, all together, no hyphen. Um, and my newsletter, Lucid, um, um which is a Substack newsletter lucid.substack.com or you can go to my website which is uh ruthbengiat.com and it has all my latest uh interviews and stuff like that excellent so, uh, thanks me? i enjoyed it thank you very much tony you have anything going on you're in vegas no, now i'm in vegas yeah you're running uh, for president you could tony darrow t-o-n-y-d-a-r-o at instagram that's enough there you go well thank you so much and please come visit the uh, all the comedy salon when you're uh, i will i'd love to Thank you. Okay. Yeah,